Let's go together. We're in a series, and we're going to conclude it today uh, called How They Do It. How They Do It. And, and we're looking in our text, and we're going to get right into it. But we're looking in the scripture, and we're finding some heroes of the faith that we see in the scripture. And we started with Caleb, all right, and we talked about faith. And then Pastor Brad came in and he talked about endurance or perseverance, and he talked about Job. And then last week we talked about character, and we spoke to you and told you about Joseph. And today I want to bring in a very unique uh, individual in the Bible, and today we're going to talk about hope, and we're going to talk about a lady named Rahab. Let's get right into our text. This is in Romans 5, 1 through 4. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access, faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance or endurance, character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So what is God saying when he says that we're going to have hope, that he builds within us this character, and it's a progressive journey that we've shared with you that we start off with this thing called faith because he talked about out of our suffering, there was going to be this development of faith. And then when we begin to walk in faith, faith is the substance of things hopeful with the evidence of things not yet seen, calling things as though they are, though they're not yet. How many knows that's faith involved in that? And so we see faith, and then faith leads us into this thing called endurance or perseverance because I haven't seen it yet, but I'm holding out for it. And as you do that, it builds this thing called character because character is defined in us and built in us when we're in the midst of the trial. And in our character, we establish this thing called hope. And I want to talk to you today about hope. Hope is a desire accompanied by an expectation of our belief in its fulfillment, that we actually believe what we're praying for or believing for is going to happen. How many knows why believe if, if you're not going to believe? Just really makes no sense, right? And so faith and hope is that I really believe this is going to happen. I mean, we just heard for how many years we want to have a child. We're believing for a child, and, and, and you just keep hoping and believing that one day what we just heard is going to happen. And so Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. How many's ever been believing something like Chris and Marie? And I mean, like every year, doctor, everything, and, and we're praying, believing, it just ain't happening yet. Anybody been on that bandwagon besides me? And, and hope deferred, what does it do? It makes your heart sick. You, it wants to make you stop believing. But then it says, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Man, I saw two trees standing up here a while ago just blooming, didn't you? Like, we're having a baby, you know? Give them about 12 months, and everybody going, why do we do this? <laughs> Help. But I want to talk to you about hope, and I want to use a very unique lady called Rahab, and it kind of sounds weird on where does Rahab fit in hope? And we're going to bring a story to you and let it fit. You see, Rahab was a prostitute, and so she's a prostitute in Jericho, and she winds up being one of the great grandmothers of Jesus. 
And so I wanna bring a story of hope to you today because how does a prostitute get in the lineage of the Messiah and become a great-grandmother of Jesus, the lamb that's gonna be slain for the foundation of the earth? Pretty unique story. You see, the reason I wanna talk about Rahab today is Rahab represents the person who looks at their life today and says, I really don't like what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling, or the experience that I'm having so far. I really don't like this and I don't wanna stay here. I'm not sure if there's much hope for my future. I'm not sure if there's much hope for change. I wanna talk to you today because Rahab has a story she wants to tell you. Because no matter how dark your situation looks right now, there's still hope as long as there's Jesus. Are you with me today? Because you see the fact, and I wanna talk to you about this today, your life's journey, has already been pre-written by God. Your journey was already designed by God, already written out before you were ever born. It says in Psalms 139, 16, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to me. All, all the days of your journey have already been written in the book, Jesus said, before you ever experienced one of them. Now, how many will join me today and say, I've added some chapters that Jesus didn't plan on? Come on, anybody in here? Come on, I made some choices that added some chapters that Jesus had nothing to do with. Come on, anybody? And, and we've got to come and realize that just the sin of man added some chapters to it, and then our bad decisions added some more chapters to it. But I want to tell you that Jesus has an amazing, beautiful journey already written out for your life. And when you connect back to that journey and hope, that you're like a tree that's planted by the waters that cannot be moved, the Bible says. And so I wanna to talk to you today through the story of Rahab because you see, Rahab's life starts off horrible. Horrible. No one knows what brought her into prostitution. Was it something she was forced in? Was it something she did by choice to make a living? Uh, we don't know what brought her in prostitution. What we do know is like every other woman that's in that lifestyle, for every man that she spent time with, there was a night of grief and a night of worthlessness and a night of shame and guilt that she had to deal with on a daily basis. Hope for a better life was not there for her. She saw that as her ultimate end, but somehow in the midst of her darkness and her pain, she winds up being a great-grandmother of the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself. Her blood flows in the veins of Jesus. So how does God take a prostitute and put her in the lineage and produce the Messiah that's gonna be the savior of the world? I wanna tell you, if there's hope for her, there's hope for you. And so let's go on that journey today because the story of Rahab teaches us three main lessons about their journey of life that gives us hope. Number one, God handpicks you for the journey. God handpicks you for the journey. I love the sign I used to have in my office. They had a little kid with his hands on the desk with his head stuck up, and it goes, I know I'm something special because God don't make junk. And I just want to tell you today, there's hope for you because God doesn't make junk and he doesn't write the journey out for someone that he doesn't already plan on succeeding. God's got a great plan for your life. You see, you didn't find God. God found you. 
You didn't just decide one day to give your life to Christ. You came to Christ because the Holy Spirit was chasing you down. He said, if you even make your bed in hell, I'll find you there. You can't get away from the call that God's got in your life. How many's glad God found you? Come on, how many will acknowledge today you didn't find him, he found you. But you know when he finds us in the darkest places of our life? He finds us in those darkest moments. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us that he found us first. The first thing you must understand in your journey of hope is that God handpicked you for this journey, right? In the middle of your darkness, your emptiness, your confusion, God gets your attention, grabs your heart, and starts you on a brand new journey, a journey of life and a journey of joy. And you see Rahab, she lived in Jericho. Anybody grow up in church and hear the, the songs of Jericho? The walls of Jericho tumbling down, tumbling. Anybody remember those songs we sing in children's church? Yeah. All right. Jericho was this fortified city, had massive walls that went around it. But what happened was people had houses inside of that wall. They lived in the wall. And, and Rahab was one of those people who lived inside the wall of Jericho, and she had windows that were on the outside of the wall. Rahab lived in Jericho and her house was in that wall and Joshua now has taken over as the leader of the Israelites. Moses has died. Joshua's in charge. He's now sending out the armies of Israel to conquer and take back and repossess the land that had been taken from them and Jericho is one of those cities and so he sends out some spies to go out and spy out Jericho first before they would go in and try to conquer it and here, here we see it in Joshua chapter two, verse one. Look at it in your notes. It says, then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Good, we got technology, hallelujah. So they went and entered the house of the prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Rahab did not find them God just coincidentally sent them to one window that just happened to be the window of the prostitute and the harlot, Rahab. They didn't know whose house they were going in, and she didn't invite them, but God handpicked her. God chose that window for those spies to enter in. God made sure that the window they chose to crawl through as spies just happened to be the window of Rahab. And the fact is this, God has been coming after many of you here right now, and God is saying, isn't it time that you listen? Stop fighting him, get on board, and walk out your journey that God has already set in place for you. Because I wanna tell you right in front of me right now are people that you know the call of God on your life. You know what God has called you to do already. You know that God's put special gifts inside of you. You know there's certain passions that God, he created in you when he forms you in the womb of your mother. You know that you've got a vision and a burden to sing. You know you've got talents with music. You know that you've got a passion for men. You know that you've got a zeal for women. You know that you love children with all of your heart. You know that you've got this passion, this calling, this journey that God has placed you on to fulfill and you're not doing it. But he sent somebody to crawl in your window today and tell you to get back on your journey because the call hadn't changed. Now, I don't expect a whole lot of amens through some of this. So the preaching is going to be better than the amen, all right? 
Because listen, listen to me, I'm very serious. I'm gonna talk to you as a pastor today. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is knocking at many of your doors of your heart today, and here's the fact. He could knock it down if he wants to because he's God. He didn't knock your door down. He wants you to open it because you want to be on that journey. You want to say yes to God. And here's the warning. It won't always be there. Because Jesus said in Genesis, my spirit will not always strive with man, that God won't always knock. If you don't answer the door, he'll find somebody who will. And you'll miss the opportunity of fulfilling God's ultimate purpose and plan in your life. Y'all hearing your pastor, I'm trying to talk pastorally, and the reason God wants you to say yes is there's a world of hurting and broken people out there he wants to heal through you. There's people's lives he wants to change through you. And God wants you to reconnect today with that passion that you know's there, that calling you know's there. Some of you are gifted. You're on ball fields. You're out there an architect. You're out there in teaching. You're out there in finances. He's gifted you with all these things. He's put ministerial gifts inside of you. And God wants to know, what are you doing with the journey? Because I handpicked you. You didn't come to me. I picked you. What are you doing with that calling? You see, Moses refused to accept the call of God. God called Moses at a burning bush. You know the story, and I've got to hurry here, but he went to Moses. Moses spent the first 40 years of his life as the son of Pharaoh's daughter as he was put in the wicker basket, and she found him. He grew up thinking he was an Egyptian. He didn't know. But then at age 40, he finds out that he's not an Egyptian. He's an Israelite, and he sees an Egyptian fighting an Israelite, and he kills the Egyptian and runs out to the Midian Desert for 40 years. And now he's running for 40 years and God speaks to him at a burning bush and says, hey, I've called you and I want you to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses gives God five excuses on why he can't do it. I'm not educated. I don't know what to say. They're gonna ask me questions. I don't have answers. I'm not eloquent of speech. I don't see a speech being a problem arguing with God. And then he finally got honest in number five and he said, you know what, God? I don't want to do it. I don't want to go. You know what God did? He said, okay, Moses, you are the spokesman. I've given you the honor, the honor to be the spokesman of the nation of Israel to represent six million people. You know what, Moses? I'm taking that honor off of you and I'm going to give it to Joshua and I'm going to make him the spokesman of Israel and have the honor, but I will not release you from the responsibility of hearing from me and telling him what I'm saying. He gets the honor. You've got the burden. Let me tell you something. Many of you in this room right now already know God's journey for your life and you're not on it. God handpicked you for it. You need to come back and say yes. I told you the preaching is going to be better than amen. And so you know what you're supposed to be doing. Do it. Many are selling out the call of God on their life because they're upset or they're hurt. They're giving up because of career, money, higher positions, bigger titles, higher paychecks. But I want to tell you something. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. When I became the pastor of this church and became salary, I walked away from over $60,000 of income on an annual basis to become the full-time pastor of this church. We've never missed a penny of that. We still vacate like we always did. We still do everything we've always done because when you have the favor of God on your life, it far brings more than any money can bring into your life. It'll take you places you would never get to go by your paycheck 
paycheck. It'll bring things into your life you'll never gain by your paycheck. When you have the favor of God on your life, amazing blessings come into your life. When you realize you've been handpicked for this, Jesus said in John 15, you did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. What fruit am I bearing today? What fruit? God handpicked you for this journey. Don't worry, it gets better. Number two, God places you in a leading role. Not only does he pick you, he wants you to lead the thing. He wants you to be one of the stars. He wants you to have a major role in this journey of impacting the world. They spy out the land and come back to Rahab's house and tell her that they're coming back with their army to destroy the city of Jericho. And Rahab tells them that she doesn't want to die with the rest of the city. And they say, okay, we're, we're not gonna kill you, but you gotta make a, an agreement. You gotta sign an oath with us. And, and here's the oath. Now the men said to her, the oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us come down. And so they've told her, look, we're coming to destroy Jericho. Jericho's about to be destroyed. And she said, well, look, you're in my house. I don't wanna die with everybody. Come on, let's make some kind of agreement here. And they said, okay, if you do this and you promise not to tell another soul that we're coming back, you just tie a scarlet cord outside your window. Can I tell you, from Genesis to Revelation, the color scarlet represents the cross and the blood of Jesus and redemption. Anyone ever heard of a thing called the Passover? where the blood was applied to the doorpost and the lintel? It's exactly what's happening to Rahab. She just don't know it. Thank God for the cross, amen? And he says, you tie this scarlet cord out there and we're gonna pass by and we're, we're gonna just not deal with it. But if you tell what we're doing, we will be released from the oath you made with us swear. Agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the way. She didn't wait a day, man, that baby's tied. All right, cause we're gonna trust them and hopefully live. And you see, the walls of Jericho were totally destroyed as the Israelites came in, but one little apartment remained. One little lady and her family lived because she had the cross and the blood. She was under oath. She played a leading role, but here's why the only the reason I even tell this. She thought that was it. She thought her whole part was just rescuing the spies and, and, and letting them come in. She thought it ended right there, and God says, you don't even see the picture. You don't even realize you're, you, you have a much bigger role to play in this journey than, than just rescuing my spies and letting us in. I'm fixing to put you in the lineage of the Messiah himself. You're fixing to be a great-grandmother of Jesus. You got a much bigger role to play than you think, and can I say this to you today? I know I kind of whipped some of you a while ago. But can I say this to you right now? Many of you have a much greater role in the kingdom of God to play than you think right now. God sees way more than you than you see in yourself right now. God put those passions in you so that you could impact other people's lives, not sit and go, God, I can't, I can't. Don't be a Moses with excuses. You can because God picked you for this journey and he also put you in a leading role in it. And it may not be up here preaching. How many's glad you don't do this every Sunday? Okay? And, and I can't play that keyboard. You don't want me over there. 
So I don't even worry with that, but I'm gonna do what I was called to do. And I took straight F's and zeros through high school when it come to giving an oral report because I was terrified to get up in front of anybody and talk in public. And now I do it for a living. And I would do it if I didn't get paid. And I did for many years because this is what I was born to do. And God wants you to know you have a leading role. You have a leading role in your job. He puts you on that place where so many unsaved people work because you've got a leading role in winning them to Jesus. He put your son or daughter on that certain ball team because that's your mission field for this season. He put leadership inside some of you so that you can lead others. God wants you to know that he didn't just call you and save you so you don't go to hell. He called you so you could make sure a whole lot of other people don't go. You got a lot of leadership. There's responsibility. You see, you gotta understand today, if you don't like the journey your life is on right now, there's one answer. Say yes to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus. God has handpicked you for a specific journey. Don't detour it. Stay on course. Stay faithful. Stay true to the call. Why? Your decision will have a direct effect on the eternity of others that God has destined you to reach. Rahab thought all she needed was just to tie the cord and save her family. God says, no, you're part of history. A preacher's gonna be preaching about you in Pensacola in 2016 because your blood flows through the Messiah. Number three, hope does not put you to shame. I wonder how many people heard Chris and Marie say, we're praying. We're praying for a baby. And I wonder how many of those friends goes, well, that God don't do too much. Don't see nothing happening. Wonder how many times they wondered. But you see, you gotta understand, hope does not put you to shame. It's in our text, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Give your heart to Jesus isn't the end of your journey, it's the beginning of your journey. And here's what I wanna show you. Rahab is the 28th in line of grandmothers of Jesus. I mean, there's 28 great, great, greats in front of Rahab. And if you go to the book of Matthew, Matthew gives us the genealogy of Christ, and it goes 42 generations to Abraham. So as Abraham starts, and then Abraham begat, and begat, and begat, and begat, and there's 42 grandfathers, and great, 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 great grandfathers in this lineage, and he lists every one of them in detail. But then he sticks four grandmothers in there. He didn't give us all 42 grandmothers, he only gave us four. And so my question was, why did he give us all the grandfathers and only give us four of the grandmothers? And there's an answer. And here it is. You see, number one, Matthew's past wasn't so cool either. Matthew had some junk in the trunk. He had some hidden closet stuff going on. He was a tax collector. He was ripping a bunch of people off. And so he wasn't this guy that had it all together. And because God chose him, and he knew he didn't have it together, and he gets to write the story, he said, I'm gonna have some fun with this, man. I'm gonna show the church some people that are in the lineage of Jesus that the religious crowd does not want them to see. Because there's some stuff going on in the lineage of Christ. And here it is in Matthew 1. He says, Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, 
Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Why did he put these four women in the lineage? Why did he only mention them? Because he wanted to tell you a story. You see, Tamar is one of the ugliest, dirtiest stories in the Bible. Tamar's in the lineage of Judah. Her first two husbands died. Judah had promised her another son for a husband, and then he backed out on it, and she got mad. And so she dresses herself like a prostitute, goes to town, tricks her relative Judah into sleeping with her, and has two sons, and they're the ones mentioned in the lineage. That's a dark story. And, and then there's Rahab, and we're, we've already told you her story. And then there's Ruth. Why did he tell us Ruth? Ruth wasn't a Jew. She was a Gentile. She's an outcast. She's an outsider. She doesn't belong there. She doesn't fit, yet she ends up in the genealogy of Jesus as one of his grandmothers. And then there's Uriah's wife, as we all know, as Bathsheba. She was minding her business, sunbathing on a rooftop one day, thinking she was in privacy, but David was peeking out his windows he had been doing and lusting after her. And him being the king, he sends over and gets her and brings her and he has relations with her, has her husband killed and murdered on battle, and he has relations with this woman, takes her to be his wife, and they have a son named Solomon. So why did Matthew put these four women and tell us about them and no one else? Here's what he wanted you to know, talking about hope. He wanted you to know through Tamar's story, ugly, dirty, there's hope that God will forgive you of your darkest sin in your life. Rahab's story, there's hope that God will use you regardless of your past. He wanted you to know in Ruth's story, there's hope that God will never leave anyone out. There's no outcast in God's eyes. Everybody's welcome. Whosoever will, let him come. Through Bathsheba's story, he wanted you to know that there's hope that God can heal any situation in your life. And so he comes through this story of Rahab and Rahab's words of hope gives us three things. I'm gonna give them to you extremely quickly. Number one, God offers you the opportunity to join him on the journey. Take it. Quit saying no to God. Quit delaying. Quit finding a thousand excuses on why you're not doing what you already know God's called you to do. I got one well, thank you. You know what God's called you to do? Grab hold of it. Put the hands back on the plow. The lives and souls of other people are dependent on you. They're dependent on your yes. God is offering you the opportunity to join him on the journey that gives you the opportunity to impact people's life for eternity. Stop saying no, not yet, I'm not ready. Don't be a Moses, be a Joshua. Some of you know that I'm talking to you right now. You feel it, take it, do it. The opportunity won't be there forever. He will find someone else that'll say yes if you and I don't. Be faithful to that call that God's placed in your heart. Give your life to God. He can do more with it then I can, or you can, when we hand it to him. Number two, God desires to overwhelm you with his love. So accept it, accept it. Accept the love of God in your heart. Accept it today. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, God intentionally picked the darkest stories to demonstrate his love to a lost and hurting world. David, an adulterer and a murderer. 
Paul, who killed Christians, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. God showed us that he'll take people in the darkest place of their life. He puts his finger on them. He calls them to do amazing tasks in the kingdom. How many of you are glad you serve a God like that? Or you and I wouldn't be here today, right? And so what are you saying, Pastor Dan? What I'm saying is God's got a journey for you. And there's hope for you today to connect with that journey. That's a beautiful journey. And some of you right now, you're miserable because you're not walking that journey out. And I'm just sitting here today as a mouthpiece to tell you, God's getting ready to do something amazing. How many sees the world getting as dark as it's ever been? Ever, 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 ever. And the only hope for the world has always been the church, and that hadn't changed. And when we connect with the journey that God's called us to be, we're gonna begin to impact people's lives, and we're gonna see more people come to Jesus during the week while we're working with them than we're gonna see on Sunday at a service. Because we've connected with our purpose. We understand our leading role in the journey. Because you see, God does this to show you that there's no place that you can go that the love of God can't and won't reach you. God wants you to know today that he loves you. Accept it, receive it, forget the failures, forget all the mistakes, forget the times you did say no instead of yes, and don't let the enemy beat you up. Just today, let it be a brand new day and say yes to God. And I'm ready to walk out this journey. Then God desires to heal others through your hurts. God desires to heal others through your hurts. So do it. How many has found out that you praise through your wins, but you minister out of your pain? I, I preach where I live. That's where, I, that's where you're going to hear. I preach from where I live. If you want all these fancy, exegetical, theological, I can do that to some degree. I was trained. But I found out people would just want to live where you live. And you know what I've acknowledged today? We're all in a hospital. Every one of us. We're in a hospital. He's got us all in a hospital and he's healing us. And the only difference of me and you is I might have checked in before you did. But I'm still in the room right next to you. And I may be a little more well than some of you and you may be a little more well than the guy next to you, but we're all still in the hospital getting healed. Come on, am I right about that? And we're all growing and we're all trying to find our purpose and our place. And, and God's saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I'll give you the will and the power to do it. Now find my purpose in your life and go do it. Quit trying to wait until you're good enough. I'm so sick of the church telling people, well, God can't use you because you're not sanctified when they're not even sanctified yet. No, God wants to use you right now because he wants to heal other people through your hurt. If you're in here and you've gone through the, the horror of an abortion, start a small group and minister to other women who's gone through an abortion and let healing that came to you come to them. If you've gone through a, the, the issue of a divorce, start a small group and, and start ministering to other people that's gone through the pain of a divorce. Let God take your pain and let it become your message yes. and go heal the world. I haven't counseled one person in that office. My secretary's here in the last nine months. Not one person, you don't know why? The men are in small groups with men and they're healing each other. 
The women are in groups with women and they're healing each other. Teenagers are in groups with women and men leaders and they're healing each other. And I don't have to sit and go, here's the plan. There's relationships being built with the body and people are connecting with their purpose and they're taking their story of their pain and now I got somebody can understand my pain and together we're gonna conquer and we're gonna overcome in Jesus' name. And it works and it's working. You see, once you find God in your story, he wants to use it to heal others in the midst of their story. Here's a video, watch it. Serena actually been married for two, two and a half years, and uh, so we thought, man, now's a good time to try to have a baby, you know? So we uh, decided to try to have a baby and it literally did not take long. It, it kind of felt like we were like, hey, maybe we should have a baby. Oh, hey, we're having a baby. Like it was that fast. I was overjoyed when I found out we were gonna have a boy as a, a guy. You know, you want someone to carry on your last name. You want someone to, to do all that. Uh, ministry is um, kind of in our blood now. You know, with my dad being a pastor, and uh, now I'm an executive pastor. One day I'll be a lead pastor. So, um, yeah, it, it. I was excited, and as anyone that's ever had a kid can tell you, the next nine months went by extremely quick. Um, and we had Jabin. Spent a few days in NICU, and and then uh, we finally got to bring him home. For the first year, everything was normal. He sat up on his own. He started crawling started walking, started jabbering. He used to love playing with cabinets, so he would open and slam cabinet doors all day long while we were cooking in the kitchen or at my parents' house or whatever. Around 11 months old, we started noticing he wasn't doing things that other babies were doing. But, you know, he wasn't in daycare. Um, he was an only child, so all our doctors just told us, like, hey, it's, it's normal. Um, around the 14-month mark, we were like, you know, I think something's really wrong. So we uh, took him to a neurologist, found out he was having brain seizures. So they weren't physical shaking, which just, he would kind of blank out. So with the seizures, the doctor started treating them. They started telling us that he had something wrong at birth. So we started trying to treat that, um, but it wasn't helping any, nothing was getting better. We switched neurologists and that doctor said, you know, based on what you're telling me, I've heard of this disease and I'd like to test him for it um, to see if maybe it's something that he has. We had known that the test results were supposed to come back soon, so I had been texting his doctor earlier that morning and asking her if she had heard anything yet. Um, and she, she texted me back and she said, can I call you later when you and Brad are at home? And so I immediately knew that something was wrong. So she called us. I remember we were sitting in our house. It was myself and my wife and my parents were there. And when she called and she said, um, you know, I'm so sorry to have to tell you that the test came back positive. Um, that they, Javen does have Batten's disease. My whole world just crushed. It was like in a movie where everything's just like in going in slow motion. I can just, in my life, I don't think I've ever cried harder than I did when, 
when she told us that the test was positive. And I remember telling her, it's not the end. It's not the end. About six months after Jamin was diagnosed, <sighs> you know, you start watching the videos that he was able to walk and then he was almost pretty much able to run and then it was like right after he was, he reached that milestone, uh, he stopped being able to walk. He started falling a lot. Then it got to where he couldn't stand up. Then it got to where he couldn't sit up. Um, then it got to where he couldn't feed himself. And now, um, he's practically a newborn as far as functionality, but he's three years old. You know, Facebook has this deal where, you know, one year ago today, and we get to see what he was doing one year ago today. He was walking. And we see what he was doing two years ago today. Two years ago today, you know, he was pushing his cousin on a little cart around my parents' living room, walking, laughing. People say to me all the time, um, like, oh, you're so strong, and I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you're making it through this. And the truth is, I don't, I don't even know how I do. Try to be strong, you know? I think there's an expectation on all of us to put on some facade, wear a mask, hide all our pain behind it. I can't just give up on him and just, throw my hands up and go in a, you know, a deep, dark hole. Like, sometimes I've felt like I want to. Um, Brad always tells me, you know, everyone always tells me just keep having hope, in which I do. I do have hope. And then that's just the one thing that I just always think about, just believing and praying and having faith and hoping and having hope that it's all gonna be okay. So we hold on to hope, you know? Nothing's changed. We've got some medical things that look like, you know, could be uh, good news for us that we're gonna pursue over the next few months. And, and I hope that those things are gonna change. And you know what, if those things do make Jabin better, it's not that medicine did it, it's that God used medicine to do it. I mean, uh, he's in complete control of all things, but we have to hold on to hope. What is, what is this faith if, if we don't have if we don't have hope? So God is good in all things, even when it hurts, even when it's painful, and even when we haven't had our prayers answered, the deepest, hardest prayers that we've ever prayed in our life, the thing that we've cried over more than we've cried over anything else in our life, the thing that has caught us the most strife, and the things that have stirred up our emotions more than anything else, uh, even when God has not answered those prayers, He's still good, and I still trust Him. And I still hold on to hope for me, for my wife, for our son. We hold on to hope. Oh, and they want me to preach after that. I'm gonna give you the last statement. You talked about your journey. And here's a beautiful part of it, folks. God at the end. He autographs your journey. 
He puts his, his name on it. Appreciate it. We fought with God. We argued with God when we heard that news on Jabin. And our first response was, why us? I ain't gonna lie. Why me? I asked God, why? 35 years of ministry I've committed to you and this is what my son gets? Why? A thousand questions. Just why my daughter-in-law or baby or joy? Why? And today I don't ask that question anymore. I've learned to appreciate that somewhere in the province of God, He chose our family. He chose us to walk this journey. Somewhere He saw something in us we don't see in ourselves yet today. But when you begin to understand your story and you don't have to accept the pain, but you do need to realize that God has a plan. And His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And, and Brad got to speak to many bikers the other day that were non-Christian about batting disease. They asked him to come and share. And they, wanted, they thought he was going to share the whole thing on batting, but he didn't. He took just seconds and told what batting was. And then he said, this is the platform that my son gave me. And I'm going to share with you about the hope we have in Jesus. And that whole message and all those bikers were really preached to by Jabin. He just happened to be the mouthpiece. And God, we don't know God's ultimate plan, but I do know this. The God that I'm preaching you about today is not so weak that he has to run behind the devil with a broom and a dustpan and clean up messes that he didn't have the power or the ability to stop. So if we're walking them out, God's got an ultimate plan in it. God wants to autograph your journey today and put his signature on it. And I close with this scripture. It's not in your notes, so write it down. Job 14, 7 through 9. It says, there is hope for a tree. If it is cut down, it will sprout again, and its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground, and its stump die in the soil. Yet at the scent of water, it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. You know what he's saying there? He's saying there's a tree that gets literally cut down to the ground. It no longer exists and, and it sits there so long that the trunk even rots in the ground and in the soil. And there's no hope for that tree in the natural. But he says, is there hope for a tree when it's cut down and it's just a dead stump? And he says, just at the scent of water, just at the scent of life, just at the scent of hope, those roots that are still deep, all of a sudden begin to spring back forth with vision and with purpose and with life. And all of a sudden that dead, nothing stump begins to sprout forth a new tree and life flourishes again. And I'm speaking to some people in here today, you felt like that stump. You felt like your world's been cut down to the ground. That your purpose, your life, your calling, your ministry, your marriage, your health, every dream, every vision's been cut down to a stump. And it's decayed over the years and there's no hope for change. But God sent you a preacher today to tell you, though a stump be cut down, though you feel like just a rotten stump, there's a breath of God and the water of heaven that God wants to bring to you today to just let you feel just a little wind of life. And all it takes is a little hope to produce a big miracle. 
So God today is wanting to tell you it ain't over until God says it's over. And everybody look at me. God doesn't say it's over until you win. So get ready to win. Get ready to win your battle. Get ready to win the war that you're, get ready to win. Get ready to get your hands back on the plow and get back doing what God's birth created and purposed you to do. And let's go touch a world with the hope of Jesus that's so desperately dying looking for him today. Amen? Amen? I've gone way over today. Will you receive God's word today? You receive it? Amen? I don't normally do this, but I want you to stand. And I wanna, I wanna pray today, and I know I'm already over. But I just want to pray today over many of you. And I'm not going to call you forward, but here's what I want to pray because many of you are facing some, some Jabin stories. Many of you are facing those impossible looking tasks, those impossible things that are in front of you that you've prayed so hard, the Chris Maria story that you prayed so hard and yet you've seen nothing happen in your children, in your family, your family, your marriage, your health, whatever. And today, I want us to agree that we're going to see change come into your situation. We're going to begin to see those miracles break forth. They're going to become common ground in our presence. I'm receiving that word today in Jesus' name for you. Because you know what? All it takes is one suddenly. All it takes is one suddenly when God walks in the hospital room of a Tommy Hen that the doctors have said there's zero chance of him ever existing another day. Zero. But God suddenly walked in that room and touched Tommy's body and today he's no, nah, he's living on his own and he's well because of a suddenly appointment from heaven. And I just want to tell you today, God can suddenly walk into your child's life. God can suddenly walk into your ministry. God can suddenly walk into your mess. Make something beautiful out of it. And get you right back on the journey that he's called you to be on in Jesus' name. Father, I pray over this body right now. And I pray over God every situation, over every need. And if you're in the middle of a storm right now, just lift a hand to heaven. God knows what it is. I, I don't need to know. But God knows. And Father, you said if two or three of us come and agree on touching any one thing, we can pray that prayer of faith and you're not only here, but you will answer us. And come on, lift another hand with that one. I want you to lift both hands to God if you've got one up and I want you to lift them both. And it's really a sign saying, God, I hope and I believe and I'm receiving right now. And God, I pray, God, let the heavens open right now, Father. And I pray, Father, for the supernatural, the divine move of the Holy Spirit. I pray for that water, that water, God, that can touch a dead stump and God bring life back to it. I, I pray that that sprinkle of hope, that drip of hope, God, that, that one drop of rain, Father, will touch that heart. And God, you put a new prayer in our spirit, God, a new praise in our heart, a new expectation, God, in our mind, Father, in our spirit, man, that God, there's still a journey we're on. You're still faithful. There's a suddenly from heaven that's gonna come and move on our behalf. And we trust you for that today, God. And Lord, our hope is in you, our faith is in you. And today, Lord, we declare that you are God. You are nothing but good. You are good all the time. And we rejoice in you today, Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, let's give him praise in the house today. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Just bow your heads with me one more time. And if you're in this room right now and you say, Pastor Dan, I need to start it right at the beginning. 
I'm not a Christian right now. I know about God. I just don't know God. Right now, I'm not in the right place with him. I'm not where I know I need to be. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray a prayer with you and for you. And if that's you right now, would you quickly just slip a hand straight up and you can put it right back down. You say, pray for me today, preacher. I need Jesus in my life. I'm not where I need to be with God, but I want to get on the right path. I want to get on the right journey. I want to walk out God's plan for me. Come on, who in here right now, you say, that's me. That's me. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not coming to you. I just want to pray for you. We want to agree with you today as a church family because that was us one day. We're so grateful that you're here. Anyone, very quickly, before we pray. Father, we just pray right now over every life, every heart. God, I pray, Lord, for salvation, deliverance, God, into every life today. That, God, we will receive your grace and your love and we'll walk it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. you can-